He was one of eight children, including a twin sister, born to his psychiatrist father and educator mother. He was taught to think and reason deeply, follow the evidence and the facts and the logic all the way to the end. But more importantly, he was taught to act upon his beliefs, beliefs which must be tried and tested as if one's life depended upon them. He sounded an alarm to his home country, Germany, warning of the logical outcomes of the policies of Hitler and the Nazi party. He was a prophetic voice, warning of the evils that would indeed come. Who was this man? What is his Jesus story? But well, we'll tell his story and I'll share his name at the end of this podcast. I invite you to stay with me. Welcome to Jesus Stories. This is our third season where we share the stories of the people who write their own Jesus stories in their lives. Because Jesus is still alive, being resurrected from the grave, his influence is still felt in the world through Jehovah God's presence on this earth, the Holy Spirit, who lives in each of these Jesus stories and each of these people. That shows in the lives of his followers. Which leads me to a question. Do you have a Jesus story, a testimony that you'd like to share? How has Jesus influenced your life? How has he influenced the lives of those around you? It may not be a dramatic story. It could be simple. You might even be reticent to tell it, and that's okay. Contact me. Maybe I can tell your story for you. Or if you prefer to tell it yourself, we can handle it that way too. So how do you get hold of us? Go to our website. It's jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Us tab, and you'll find several ways to talk with us about your Jesus story. That is jesusstories.info. These Jesus stories do come to you because of your prayers and your financial support. Thank you for that. If you'd like to know how to support us, visit our website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab, and that's jesusstories.info. At the age of 13, our man made a decision which didn't really please his family. He decided to pursue a career in theology. Now, while his immediate family was not particularly religious, his grandparents had been theologians. At the age of 17, he began his studies. At the age of 18, he and his older brother took a trip to Rome. Now, Rome had a transformational effect on him. He began thinking about the question, what is the church? On a Palm Sunday, that's the Sunday prior to Easter Sunday, he saw people of every race and color celebrating Jesus together in the Eucharist, the communion. He saw for the first time the church as a universal and eternal body which transcended race, nationality, and culture. All who called on the name of Jesus were brothers and sisters. 
By the age of 21, he had earned his doctorate degree. Now, guess what his doctorate thesis was based on? Yeah, that question, what is the church? His next step was to be ordained as a Lutheran minister, but that office required a minimum age of 25. He was only 23. He took off for Spain so he could work with German-speaking churches there. At the age of 24, he went to New York to study at the Union Theological Seminary. Why more schooling? After all, he had a Ph.D. in theology. Well, his primary interest was in the culturally broadening aspects of American life. And he did have a broadening experience. At the Union Theological Seminary, he befriended a fellow student. Frank Fisher was an African-American from Alabama who attended Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem. He invited our man to visit his congregation with him. Our man agreed, and he was amazed. Here was a congregation of people for whom their faith was real. Jehovah God was real and personal, and that must translate into action. Action like caring for the poor and the other commands Jesus urges his followers to do. Real faith must lead to action, not just thinking. It must show in one's life. This is the point where our man said he turned from phraseology to reality, and it changed his life. And it showed when he returned home in the summer of 1931. His friends noticed the change. He took his faith more seriously. His heart was engaged in a different way. He took a teaching position on the faculty of Berlin University, and for his students, he arranged retreats. He taught them to pray. But his country was also changing. The Nazi party had consolidated power to become the second most powerful party in the country. Hitler presented himself as a man of moderation and peace, a man who was following God's will. As the country had been mired in runaway inflation and depression and the shame of losing World War I, the public bought into the message. But Germany had lost the war due to internal betrayal by communists and Jews, Hitler said. These elements must be purged from society. Hitler would lead and restore Germany's greatness. Our man saw these pronouncements very differently. He saw things getting much worse than they were, that Germany would be led down a very dark path. Two days after Hitler was elected Chancellor of the Republic, our man gave a radio address to dissect the Führer principle, the idea that Germany needed a strong leader to change the climate in the country. Leadership, he said, must be subject to a higher authority. Leaders must serve. Hitler was leading Germany into an idolatrous cult. Hitler's leadership would not serve. He would become a misleader, a seducer. That radio broadcast was cut off before he finished, for reasons which are still unknown. Our man saw that Nazi ideology and Christianity were not compatible. The reality is that Hitler despised Christianity, so he set about slowly infiltrating the church with Nazi ideology, taking it over from the inside. 
Nazi ideology saw all things through a racial lens. Germany must be racially pure, so the German church must be purged of all Jewish elements. Anyone of a Jewish background in the church, even if they were believers in Jesus, were to be thrown out of the congregations. Pastors with Jewish backgrounds were fired. There was even an effort to purge the Old Testament. That's Jehovah God's story of his people, the Jewish people. He wanted to purge that from the Bible. And of course, such an effort is ridiculous. Jesus was himself Jewish. The first Jesus followers were Jewish, and Christianity is based upon a Jewish background. In 1933, July, Hitler imposed illegal church elections, resulting in a Nazi-supported church. Just a month later, our man and a close associate drafted the Bethel Confession, a new statement of faith in opposition to the Nazi seizure of the church. Our man thought the final result was too watered down and wouldn't sign the document, but he was instrumental in the foundation of the Confessing Church, the church opposed to the Nazification of the Lutheran Church. In 1935, our man was called upon to lead an illegal seminary for training pastors for the Confessing Church. At Finkenwald, he led his community by teaching them to pray, to worship, to behave as if Jesus was real and his teachings were true. He taught about real life, how to live out one's faith. That seminary was declared illegal in August of 1937. It was shut down a month later. Pastors and students were arrested, but our man continued to teach underground. Training would take place in homes and barns, so that attention was not drawn to their efforts. It was a seminary on the run. Even that would eventually be stopped by the Nazi scourge. In the late 1930s, our man was banned from teaching from speaking publicly, from publishing. War was coming. That meant a decision had to be made. Could he serve in the army of the Nazis? It was impossible to declare oneself a conscientious objector. If he took a public stance against the war, he could get members of the confessing church in trouble. So what should he do? He decided to go back to America, perhaps to teach. But he no sooner got there than he felt that Jehovah God wanted him to return to Germany. But again, the question arises, what should he do? Our man took up the mantle of resistance to the power of evil in Germany, the government. He insisted that the church had to share in the sufferings of God at the hands of a godless world if it were to be a true church of Christ. Our man's brother-in-law was a leading figure in the German military intelligence. This agency, called the Avwehr, was the center of a conspiracy against Hitler. Our man was hired to work for this agency, joining this conspiracy. And as a member of this agency, he could travel outside Germany, contacting allies, informing them of the efforts to overthrow Hitler. Our man had been under surveillance by the Gestapo, the secret police of Nazi Germany. They found a plan to move a few Jews out of Germany into Switzerland and traced it back to our man. Based on this plot, he was arrested and imprisoned in 1943. 
He was hopeful of being released, either by being found innocent of the charges or because Hitler would be assassinated. And an assassination plot was tried unsuccessfully in 1944, resulting in the unrest and the torture of thousands of people. Names were revealed, including the name of our man. He was uncovered as one of the leaders in the conspiracy to kill Hitler. And after two more prison moves, he was hanged in 1945, just three weeks before the end of World War II. He was 39 years old. Who was this man? His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let me close with a quote about him from one of his biographers, Eric Metaxas. In a poem written in the last year of his life, likely knowing that death lay ahead for him, Bonhoeffer called death the last station on the road to freedom. As a devout Christian, Bonhoeffer worshipped a God who had emphatically conquered death in Jesus Christ through the crucifixion and resurrection. Understanding this historical and theological fact and its far-reaching implications is unavoidably at the core of the Christian faith, and he went to great lengths to communicate this. It gave Bonhoeffer the courage to do all that he did in life, and it gave him the courage to face his own death without fear and trembling. Bonhoeffer really believed that obeying God, even unto death, was the only way to life, and it was the only way to defeat evil. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. These Jesus stories come to you because you support us and pray for us. Thank you for that. If you'd like to know how to help us out, visit our website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab. You'll find ways to help us out financially as well as a few prayer requests. Do you have a Jesus story, a testimony to share? It may not be as dramatic as Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, but all Jesus stories are important. If you'd like to share yours with me, go to the website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Us tab. You'll find several ways to communicate with me there. Join us in two weeks for another Jesus story, a story of the faith of a woman who was a contemporary of Bonhoeffer's and who also endured persecution by the Nazi party. That'll be in just two weeks. Join me then, won't you? And check out Patreon. I've got a Jesus Stories extra there on Bonhoeffer, a poem which he wrote while in jail. Now, if you were living in a Nazi jail, how would you feel? Bonhoeffer tells us how he felt in this poem. All the links to this are on our website at jesusstories.info. Sweet is the name